Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Jacqueline here. And I have an interview for you today with someone a little bit unique, a little bit special. It is Christina Jumper from the Pickles and Vodka podcast. She's her own host and she hosts a ton of people on her podcast on all wide varieties of mental health. Highly um, recommend to go check out her podcast because not only she struggled and is struggling currently with bulimia, but she has struggled also with um, alcohol addiction and a whole host of other things. Plus she's had so many different people on her podcast with a wide variety of mental illnesses and uh, other things going on. And I loved having her on the podcast because not only can we talk a lot about the ins and outs of bulimia and have conversations, and we touched on a lot of that throughout this episode, as you'll see, but I love that she's still in the thick of it. I don't obviously love that she's still struggling with bulimia, but she isn't just some person that's like, oh, I'm all tidied up. My story is done completely. She's still in the thick of it, you know, like the reels on Instagram would uh, like to say. So go into it with that in mind. I think it's really interesting, the stuff she has to say, and I'm sure a lot of you guys will relate to her journey. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I have a really cool guest here, and I brought her on for specific reasons uh, that I'm going to get into, but she is Christina Jumper. She is the podcast host, the mental health podcast host of Pickles and Vodka, and it's an excellent podcast. I've listened to a lot of episodes. Not only does it cover her own journey through bulimia. She struggled with it for 15 years, amongst other things. But she interviews a lot of other people. And um, a few of my favorite episodes are the Bulimia Diaries. That was, it was just like jaw dropping. Uh, If you haven't listened to that episode, go check it out. And she's interviewed lots of interesting people. And I love that some of them are just like your friends, you know, and then some of them you sought out. Um, But anyway, thank you for being on the show, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. I'm like that was a beautiful introduction. Yeah. I feel like nervous now. Oh, don't but worry. In the best possible way. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing we're going to talk about that you don't know. So, I think so. if I had to introduce my guests on air, I would die cuz like I, I usually add it in post production. Oh. Um that is a responsible thing just, to do. Well, there's there's just so much pressure. But like, here you are, you've already made me feel so like welcome and appreciated. And I'm just like, wow, I'm oh, happy to well, be here. Thank you. <laughs> I always feel like I don't do good at uh, introductions, but you know why I do that? It's because I'm lazy. So I know I won't do it past the recording. So good for you for putting an extra effort. <laughs> I feel like we're just two lazy, awkward people right now, like <laughs> doing a yeah. podcast together. So this should be interesting. Self-proclaimed mm-hmm. lazy and awkward, by the way, not yeah. objectively yes. lazy. Yeah. Just so tell us um, kind of, I always like to ask people and it's the most, the biggest question always puts a lot of pressure on the guests. So tell us a bit about your story. Like, first of all, where are you from? I know you have several places. Yes. I never know how to answer that question because mm-hmm. 
not only am I a military brat, but I'm also like a preacher's kid. So I have those two identities going for me. I was born in Florida and moved around a bunch before finally settling in Chicago in, I want to say, 2006 when my dad retired from the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I went to high school in Chicago. Um, so sometimes I tell people I'm from there, but I don't really identify as being from anywhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so no matter. I am the oldest of seven children. We were homeschooled for the majority of my time in the house. I went to a private Christian school for my senior year only, and then I went to college after that. So definitely um, kind of grew up as a social outcast, very shy, very anxious, Mm -hmm. very responsible because I was the oldest of of seven. Uh, I had a lot of expectation to be the, the good girl, the responsible girl. You know, I was a good student. And helps take care of everyone. Yeah. I can imagine with like being a military brat and the, it's not that like all Christians brat or anything like that, but it's just that those things can sometimes create tons of pressure for you to be this perfect role model. And my personality is kind of introverted anyway. So even if I had not grown up in that kind of environment, I probably would have been this way to some extent but my circumstances growing up definitely didn't help Mm -hmm. absolutely and um so I guess the first time I can remember feeling different is when I started getting involved in internet chat rooms when I was around 11 or 12 and um we did it in secret because we weren't allowed to go on the internet (laughs) But or we weren't allowed to use chat rooms, but I did it anyway. And I started talking to quote unquote normal teens from around the world Mm. and found out that there was a lot I didn't know about a lot of different things. Right. Yeah. Pop culture, including movies, music, what have you, uh, sex and dating. How old were you? Let's say 12. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll say 12 when I first started getting really active online. And this was a a fun time in my life because uh, I've always been really active online and it helped kind of awaken in me my passion for web design and my passion for talking to strangers, which I still do to this day with my podcast, obviously. Mm -hmm. But also it kind of made me aware of how weird I was. Uh, (laughs) You could say that. And... I don't know. After that, I started looking at the way I was growing up and the way my siblings were growing up and kind of resenting a lot of it more. And part of that was just my age also. I think no matter how you raise a kid, at a certain point, they're going to start rebelling and being curious about things. That's just normal. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't really made to feel like it was normal. I was kind of taught that it was bad to question things and it was bad to be rebellious and uh, set a bad example for my younger siblings. So I didn't really have anywhere to take this, these questions and this feeling of um, curiosity. And I I don't want to say like rebelliousness, Mm -hmm. but individualism, let's call it that. I, I didn't right. have anywhere to take this sense of individualism because it was frowned on. 
And so that's when I self started self-harming was when I was 12 um, mm. because I, I just couldn't talk to anyone about what I was feeling. And I thought that I was a bad person for feeling curious and to feel like I could want something more from life. Um, so that happened for a few years. Then my parents found out and stopped me from doing it. And so I didn't have anywhere for those feelings to go. Right. So that's when I started a binging and purging uh, when I was 14. Can I, can Uh, I ask really quickly, did they, um, how did they stop you from doing that? They took away my tools. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, there's many ways people self-harm for me primarily i used tools and they took when they took them away i just didn't have a way to do it anymore right uh, it's interesting they didn't did they get you any like therapy or anything like that or just just took away the tools no they didn't get me therapy until after my eating disorder okay. had come up um so a lot of my childhood is kind of fuzzy I, I, and if you ask any of my siblings this, they'll say the same thing. Like there's parts of our past that we just kind of blocked out. Not that we had any big traumatic events happen to us. Our parents loved us a lot and there was never any physical violence or anything like that. Uh, our parents are still married to this day. Um, so it's only in the last few years that I've really started looking at my experiences traumatic. And I still kind of struggle with that word, but I am sorry to interrupt too. I just, no, no, please. I've been thinking about this a lot too, of like, cause a lot of eating disorders, a lot of things like that are manifested from trauma. And I keep trying to think like, what trauma did I have? Right. My, Mm -hmm. my uprising wasn't like yours, but there's some similarities and it's like, things weren't that bad, but yeah, there's like little traumas that can happen that affect people in a deep way too. So. I agree a hundred percent. I don't like that we categorize trauma into like big T trauma and little T trauma. And I, I say that with air quotes because I, I had a therapist use, uh, describe it to me like that. Like some trauma society just seems bigger than others. And that's not the case because if something traumatizes you, then it's trauma. <laughs> regardless of what it is (laughs) yeah your reaction still happened right even yeah yeah even if it was something that no one else would be traumatized by still valid right so I say that but I'm I'm still having to convince myself of it right well it just seems you you know it logically but then your mind is telling you a different thing like you shouldn't be dealing with this it shouldn't be a big deal whatever move on right Yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of people who struggle with bulimia are very logical people. And Mm -hmm. bulimia is such an illogical thing that we really, at least for me, I struggle so much with the fact that I'm bulimic every day. I wake up and I I have these urges and I'm just like, don't I know better by now? (laughs) Like, (laughs) why is this still something I'm dealing with? I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but... um, No, you're fine. What's the point of that? I guess, right? spoiler spoiler alert, I'm not recovered 100% from bulimia. Uh, it's something I've been struggling with for a while, and I'm in recovery now. I say that with a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, you you are. like Yeah, I'm in recovery. 
Mm-hmm. I, I feel hesitant to own that term, but I think that's because my idea of recovery is still very black and white of what recovery has to look like. Mm. But we can talk about that later. I'm jumping all over the place. Yeah, well, I, let's talk about your story in a second, but I'm, yeah, let's just, okay, talk about your story. <laughs> I wanted to ask you like a million questions there, but I won't, I won't. So um, you were struggling with an eating disorder after self-trauma or the self-harm because you didn't yeah. really have those tools. And then it kind of just progressed from there. Yeah. So I binged and purged in secret for a few months and then became suicidal. And this was all in my, uh, no, not a few months. It was like a few, see the timeline is kind of messy to me. Cause I know I started binging and purging when I was 14, 15. And I also was hospitalized for the first time when, before I graduated high school so when I was 17. So it it happened for a few years on and off. Um, and in that time, I did get start going to therapy for it. Okay. Um, but eventually, it just escalated to the point where I was suicidal, and the self harm had returned as well. And my therapist convinced me to seek uh, inpatient treatment. So my parents took me and I was inpatient for 11 days and then I got out and I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth and that kind of started my life post high school. Uh, I left my family to go to this school on the other side of the country and kind of never looked back until now, um, which I'll get to. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're trying to like, not now, but you're trying to figure stuff out. So you have to like, look back a little bit of what's going on and what happened. Well, actually, yeah. So it's, it's funny how life kind of repeats itself because, Mm -hmm. um, for listeners who aren't familiar with me or my podcast, I've been, I went to treatment in January of 2021 right now. It's June. I almost said May. I don't know what month it is ever. Right. Uh, (laughs) Just keeps uh, I went back to, yeah, I went back to treatment for my eating disorder in January of 2021. I got out and now I am about to move back to Virginia where my family currently is to be closer to them after 10 years of being on the other side of the country from them. Mm -hmm. So what it's really crazy to me how I, I feel like I'm going back to my like teenage years in so many ways like I I'm changing careers I'm thinking about going back to school um all this crazy stuff is happening that's a really I'm exciting almost, time I'm almost 30 in. it's just like <laughs> when does, does life ever start making sense spoiler it doesn't yeah well <laughs> I think people have like of course you have these black and white standards of you know once you're out of college like you get a degree and then you automatically get a job and you automatically like that job and it's just linear from there and it's like no once once I got out of college I got a degree in something that wasn't even related to my degree and then like had four different jobs and was like spinning Mm -hmm. around then unemployed then it's just like you know it it happens and um but it's exciting that you're switching jobs what are you what are your career switching to I don't know yet, but I okay. do know that I want it to be somewhat focused on mental health because that's mm-hmm. what I'm passionate about. And that's what I have a lot of life experience with, um, specifically addiction recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm two years sober from alcohol uh, as of last month. And so 
that's one thing I really want to help people do is get sober and stay sober, whatever sober means to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have a degree in web development also. So I, I don't know. My last job was in marketing and I hated that. Obviously I'm really bad at marketing myself and my podcast. My last full real job was in marketing too. My most stable job. And I was doing web design as well. So Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're so similar. It's crazy. I know. But um, yeah, just a side note, I feel like you would, could easily, I'm always promoting coaching, but you could totally get, be like an addiction recovery coach or something, get a certification in that. Uh, cool. I don't even know what that entails. Like if I, I mean, so, so I, um, you don't have to include this in the episode, but I just mm-hmm. found out my dad got a uh, 100% disability with the military, which means his wow. kids can go to school for free in Virginia That's until amazing. they're 30, basically. And I'm about to turn 29. And so like, I'm, and it, this happens at the same time I'm moving back there. So um, I have the chance to potentially go back to school and get my master's if I want to, or like get certified for something else. That's amazing. Um, yeah. You should go back for some sort of, um, I want to go back to school to actually get a full like therapy psychology degree. So should look into yeah. something like that, like an addiction uh, recovery it's so, degree. It's so scary. Like I've looked at art therapy, um, addiction therapy, obviously, like I'm just really passionate about helping people and just listening to people. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, I can. I, see I no longer being... think that everyone has this career path that they pick and they stay with for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. I think, no. what, especially with the events of the last couple of years, um, everyone is kind of reshaping what they th- um, their view of society and capitalism and all this fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like, there are so many different options you have, especially back in the day, people stood in their jobs for long periods of time, because there wasn't as many choices, but there's so many things you can do. We live for so much longer mm-hmm. now. And your opinions on things evolve. Of course, you can switch around. It doesn't have to be just one thing forever. And I love that way you said that, like how we live longer, but also our opinions evolve as we live longer. And that's something I didn't really think about before, but it's totally true. Yeah. You, the, our marketing jobs helped us realize that we hated marketing, right? <laughs> we switched to something else. Yes. So, yeah. But anyway, um, so I would love to ask then, like struggling with an eating disorder for a long time, obviously you've had a lot of experience in that. What got you to, you came out of treatment out of high school um, and then you just struggled with it like in isolation at the school across the country without your family? Yes. So the school that I went to was in Oklahoma. It was a Christian school. And the only reason I went was because my dad was an alumni and or an alumnus of the school. And um, because I had been so entrenched in my eating disorder and my self-harm I hadn't been applying to colleges so that was kind of the only place that would have me and I was like it's far away it'll do the trick so I went and over the course of two and a half years several things happened Uh, I got in a lot of debt Hmm. I found out that I wasn't a Christian or I didn't want to be a Christian any longer I met the person who would be my first boyfriend, uh, who would be the reason I moved to Texas. 
and oh and i did relapse into my bulimia as well um so those things all were kind of happening at the same time Mm-hmm. A lot of soul searching. A lot of good things happened too. I don't want to paint like an all negative picture of this time in my life because a lot of good things happened. You know, I, I found out what I didn't believe anymore, but I also found out what I did believe. Um, I found a lot of, I found my passion with like web design. Uh, a lot of that had stemmed from when I was a kid playing around in MySpace or LiveJournal or whatever, but Mm -hmm. uh, being at that school kind of helped me channel it into a more specific area of study. Um, And I don't know, it's, it's kind of funny that it took me moving to the Bible belt and going to an all Christian school to feel like a normal kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, I did start feeling normal there for the first time. I met a lot of, kids that you know drank and had adventures and stuff we weren't supposed to do at that school but um Mm -hmm. you know kids are going to be kids so i had a lot of fun adventures with them and in retrospect i think by beginning to experiment with drugs and alcohol that kind of started transferring the self-hatred I felt and the coping that I strove for into something else away from my eating disorder. Um, I know this now having analyzed it over 12 million hours of therapy. Yeah. Of like, well, at the time I thought all of this and I still intentionally did it. That would be pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah. Although I have intentionally done things that I know I shouldn't. Yeah. That's the case for most humans too. You're not the only Yeah. Mm-hmm. so with like going into all of that like and you had all these life events happening I'm trying to think you know like when did you reach out for help again like when when did that happen so I went after I got out of that Christian school I moved to Texas with that boyfriend and ended up in Austin, which is to this day one of my favorite cities. Um, I I broke up with the boy, but I ended up staying there for years just because I loved it so much. I had a friend group there. I was working and my eating disorder kind of was in remission. And I, I tell people that that was the happiest time in my life, that I wasn't struggling with my eating disorder. But of course, now that I look at it, through the current lens of my addiction, I realized I was slowly building um, a tolerance on to alcohol, or I, mm-hmm. I was like building a dependence on alcohol when I was there. Cause it, it's a party town and I was friends with a lot of college students and everyone drank and it was just kind of normalized. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, can, can I ask, I'm sorry, how yeah. did you know that, um, you were building a dependence on alcohol like what are signs to look out for I was just it would would take more and more to feel the same way okay like one night I would just I I brought like a bottle of wine downstairs like not like the regular size bottle but like the premier value Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the value um, size bottles of wine that you find in like the grocery store 
And I was just like drinking it over the course of an evening while talking to my friend who was a PhD student. So she was sitting at the kitchen table working on school and I was sitting there drinking and the end of the night came and my bottle was empty and I was still talking to her and she was like, wow, you really drank that whole thing. Right. And I was like, Oh shit, this is not normal. Mm. Like, um, and I would start drinking to black out intentionally. Um, and that was kind of a way that I self-harmed back then without realizing it. Right. It's not uh, so obvious, but it, it's not good for you, you know, yeah. I'm doing it too. Well, why were you, I'm sorry, but why were you um, drinking to blackout? Do you think? So I am kind of uh, going back to being the oldest of seven kids growing up, being the responsible child. I've always been like a go-getter. Um, I had very high expectations placed on me as a kid. And so as an adult, I've continued to place those expectations on myself to always spend every minute being productive, to mm-hmm. never be able to just relax for the sake of relaxing. Um, even to this day, like, meditation is the hardest thing in the world for me. Uh, mindfulness is a challenge. So when I was drinking, that was the only time I allowed myself to relax and just slow down yeah and have fun with my friends yeah and to this day it's kind of the same thing um a lot of bulimics talk about using their illness as a way to slow down time Mm -hmm. uh and i that certainly is true for me uh and with alcohol it was kind of the same thing i would slow down time and ignore my problems and just pass out yeah it it is such a it's just a way for you to take a break. It's the only excusable way that you find or the way that will force you to do it in a way, which is interesting. I find that yeah. a lot of people I talk to are also like highly productive, like always going to be doing something people. And it's like, why, why do you always have to be doing something, you know, but they find bulimia or like alcohol is only few things that make them stop. So that's really interesting. So struggling with alcohol, and then you eventually got sober, which congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. It, yes. it took a lot to get sober. Um, oh, sorry. What were you going to ask? I was just going to ask, like, how did that happen? So when I was in Texas, I met another guy that I then moved to D.C. for. And when I was in D.C., I realized it was... I should not have moved there so quickly for him. Uh, There were a lot of other reasons the relationship was like failing, but alcohol was definitely one of them. I think I used it to distract myself from the fact that we just weren't a good match and that I hadn't listened to my gut when we got together and I was paying for it. Um, That's one thing about me is that over the years, I've had these really strong gut feelings about things that I consistently ignore. Mm. And... um. I've paid dearly for it and I know that's like that's also problematic because then it pushed all the blame on me right (laughs) when like there's many factors and it's not all my fault but um no that's kind of how I spin it Mm -hmm. so I ignored my gut feelings I moved across the city the country with this guy and when we didn't work out I asked myself, like, when's the last time I moved somewhere for me that I just wanted to move? Uh, Because, you know, out of 
high school, I'd moved to Oklahoma to the school that my dad wanted me to go to. And then after that, I moved to Texas for a dude. Then I moved to DC for another dude. I was like, Mm -hmm. I've never moved anywhere just for me. Where do I want to go? And so I had never been to the West Coast. I know that friends of mine had recommended Seattle as a place that they thought I would like because it's depressing and moody and I guess I'm depressing and moody. <laughs> no it um I don't know why I picked it I just did and so I drove across the country with my cat in a minivan that I rented and got here and then soon started spiraling into a very dark place um it, it took let's see I moved here New Year's Eve 2018 so by the end of May 2019 Uh, almost six months. I was suicidal again. I was heavily dependent on alcohol. I was just drinking 24-7 just to feel normal, not even to feel drunk at that point. I I was just drinking to feel normal. Mm, And so um, luckily I was in therapy the whole time. And my therapist uh, was this amazing man who convinced me to get treatment. So I did, got back on meds, got sober, and kind of restarted my life here. Um, it was a very, it was very strange because when I moved here, obviously, I was looking at everything through the cloud of alcohol. So once I got sober, um, it was kind of like experiencing this place with a set of fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you moved to a new city again, right? It was. That's exactly what it was. And in many ways, it was beautiful, but in other ways, it was really scary because if I'm being completely honest, subconsciously, when I moved to Washington, I think I was kind of planning to just die here and not really have to have a plan. Mm, but So yeah. when I got out of treatment for my alcohol and started looking around, I was like, oh, shit, I don't have a plan. I'm working at a coffee shop. You know, I'd worked at the same coffee shop for seven years, which is great. They paid for my college. Um, but I was like, I don't want to stay here forever, but I'm not taking any big steps to get out of here. Mm-hmm. It's expensive here. I don't like anybody. I or, I don't know anybody. I don't like anyone. I don't know anyone. <laughs> okay. When I say I don't like anybody, I mean, people are really not nice here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. People don't I- engage in small talk. They don't. I don't know. I just I'll uh, probably get in trouble. Cities. That, but... Everyone's like in there are good things about cities and I like the city, but there's also a lot of grumpy people in cities. Got things to yeah. do. In Miami, you will die on the road if you're not like super aggressive. Like it's just and people here will either like be like really friendly and like loud and in your face, or they just like if you say hi to them, they're like, what do you want? You know? <laughs> so I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, it's probably a city thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I saying? You were saying um, kind of oh, yeah, you I got, got acclimated after no alcohol. Yeah, so living life without alcohol really hit me hard. Uh, it didn't take long before I turned to my eating disorder again and ended up getting... It, 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 it ended up getting worse than it had before ever um and for for quite a few months i want to say like let's see i got out of rehab for alcohol in 
June of 2020. No, sorry, June of 2019. And I didn't get treatment for my eating disorder till January of 2021. So almost a year and a half passed, I guess, just with me in this relapse. So it's kind of been hard for me to get out now. I think that's like saying it to you in terms of like a timeline, it's kind of surreal because I didn't, I I kind of forget it's been that long. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, At the beginning of this, I I talked to you at the beginning of this, how I felt like I I wasn't qualified to talk on your podcast because I don't feel recovered. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. But when I tell you like that, like when I describe how long it's been, it's like, no wonder this feels like your identity. It's been so long, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, So that's just kind of interesting. Yeah, but you've um, learned so much along the way. And for you, those of you guys listening, that is why I wanted to bring Christina on. It's because, like, she doesn't, no one has it all together. That's first of all. But, like, just because you're not completely recovered doesn't mean you don't have advice to share and insight to share, you know, and things that you know about it. You know about the struggle more than anyone, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if there's anything I know, it's definitely the struggle. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I eventually got out of that service industry job and I got a job in marketing, like we were talking about, and then COVID hit and, mm-hmm. um, I got laid off of that job cause it was in the events industry. Uh, so we were one of the first to go before the nationwide lockdown even started. So there was a time where, um, At at that time, I was at a really bad point in my bulimia. This was March of 2020, and I couldn't afford treatment. And so right after I got laid off from my job, I went home to Virginia for six weeks, kind of hoping that my family would be my treatment Hmm. and that they could kind of help me stop the pattern. But (laughs) if you're listening and you're shaking your head, then you're totally right, because like that didn't work at all. Sure, it um, really helped everyone. <laughs> Wasn't a good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it it seems silly now that I talk about it, but I really was desperate, and so um, I'm sure that was better than nothing, right? It like, was it was good to be, it was better than being alone in my studio apartment in Seattle. Uh, but as everyone knows, being with your family can kind of cause you to revert back to your childhood self sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that was certainly the case for me. I found myself hiding food in my room like I did as a teen and, um, you know, binging and purging all hours of the night and stuff like that. And my mom and I started fighting over food and mm. yeah, yeah. My, my mom used to be bulimic as well. So she knows exactly what I deal with. Um, but she, I'm also her daughter and she's scared for me. So sometimes we can clash over it That's when really she's trying to help me. And I, I feel like she's blaming me or pushing me too hard. Mm. How does she, and it, like, how does she push you? What does like, she keep telling you is the main advice? I mean, she'll do things like, keep track of what I'm eating or like the, at the worst point she was taking a picture of the food in the pantry 
because uh, she would know if I stole any, which is ridiculous because we were living with like five other people in the house. So right, yeah, other people can <laughs> and, and stuff. She, she will tell you now that that was ridiculous, but it's so hard. I can't imagine having a daughter that's bulimic. You know, mm-hmm. I I can't imagine what she was going through, and so it was just a really shitty time for both of us. And um, there had there was a point where we just agreed to to stop using like I was like can you just be my mom like you don't need to be my my doctor my treatment facilitator like just be my mom and she's like yeah I think that would be for the best so mm-hmm. she stopped keeping tabs on me and I went back to Seattle um kind of the same if not worse than when I left and from there it just continued until this past spring when I went to treatment again. Mm-hmm. Well, you got like a treatment again and therapy. You just got out mm-hmm. of treatment. What did you learn in your most recent like treatment? What was helpful about that experience? I think asking for help was the most monumental thing that I did. Um, I've, I've been really bad at asking for help in the past. I don't feel like I deserve it. Um, we talked a little bit about trauma at the beginning of this and how, because we haven't experienced any quote unquote, big T trauma, we feel Mm -hmm. like we don't deserve help. And that's definitely how I felt in treatment. I kept comparing myself to people there and feeling like I didn't belong. Um, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. So when I first decided to go to treatment, I couldn't afford it, but I knew that bulimia was killing me and that I had to go. And so um, I started a GoFundMe on my Facebook page to ask for $5,000 to like, cover my deductible. Mm-hmm. And I met the goal within 24 hours. Wow. Um, it was the most amazing, one of the most amazing things that's ever happened to me. I like still tear up when I think about it. I feel like it didn't really happen. Um, and I definitely would not have been comfortable even asking for that if I hadn't been slowly working up the nerve to talk about mental health Mm -hmm. because of my podcast um and that's another piece of the story is you've been podcasting this whole time yeah bulimia Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going all over the place here but yeah I feel like um, I am too don't worry it's fine (laughs) have fun editing this Mm -hmm. Jack one (laughs) yeah um Yeah, so in 2018, that was when I broke up with my ex in D.C., and I was at a really low point. I had relapsed into my bulimia after almost two years clean. I was drinking all the time, and I didn't really have any friends in the area to talk to about it. I was really lonely, and I started taking a lot of long walks by myself and listening to podcasts. And finding a lot of comfort just listening to the people in my phone and getting involved in their lives and getting to know them, even though I didn't know them personally, I, I felt like they were providing a lot of um, comfort to me in that time. Mm-hmm. And so after a while, I was just like, I could do this. Like I could just talk about my life and my my struggles and if someone wants to listen great if not also great because I get to put it out there and that's good for me Mm -hmm. um so I was really nervous when I first 
told people that I was making a podcast about mental health because I hadn't really talked about it publicly before. I had a few close childhood friends who knew I had self-injured and then, you know, people in my high school class knew that I had gone to the hospital, but they didn't exactly know why. And it had been a few years since I really talked about it openly because I was better, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I didn't need to talk about it. Um, and so that was hard for me, but I published the first episode in November 2018. And after that, I just had like all my friends wanted to be on it. I had family who wanted to be on it. I I had family who messaged me saying they liked it and they were following me. And that's honestly the only way they kept in touch with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I feel like that's why a lot of my family keeps in touch with me too now. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Cause yeah, I do the interviews with friends and family, but I also kind of use the beginning of every episode as a sort of small update on my life and how it's going. So I think a lot of family used it to keep up with me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, like you were scared to post about it. And then when you did, it seems like everyone was on board and pretty happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. honestly, to this day, I've never had someone have a bad reaction to my podcast. Like I, I feel like the worst case scenario that I was fearing. I don't even know what it was like, right? When, when you're afraid to post your like your bulimia coach stuff, I think we talked about that when you were on my podcast a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, what are we even afraid of? Are are we afraid someone's just gonna be like, you don't know what you're talking about? Or you're crazy? That was me. I was like, people are going to think I'm weird. They're going to think that I'm disgusting. They're going to think that I don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. They're going to think I'm trying to take advantage of people. Like I had like so many things going on. So, but turned out for the most part, none of that was true. And it sounds like it's the same situation for yeah. you. Most people are like, this is awesome. Everyone's been so lovely. Not only have people been supportive and validating toward me, but I also have a lot of people reach up, reach out and say that they struggle with the same things. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that a large percentage of my friend group struggles with the same things, even if they don't say something like the ones that say things are the smaller fraction. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like there's... for every person that reaches out and says, I also struggle with this. There's like three more people that don't reach out about it. Mm-hmm. they're that meme that you see on the internet where it's like you're when you're on social media but you don't post and it's like you've seen it where they're in like you know there's tile ceilings and then one tile ceiling is removed and this person's like watching through the tiles <laughs> it's like they're those people they're watching it's so true but, and yeah. I, I love that you know more podcasts and people are talking about this now uh, but I still think there's a lot of work to do And I know there's a lot of work to do because I still feel like censoring myself Mm -hmm. when I'm on my podcast or when I'm on your podcast. I feel, I still feel awkward. I still feel like I have to be perfect or like know what I'm supposed to say beforehand, or I have to say something helpful because if I'm not helping people, what's the point of all this? And it's just like, I mean, you can relate being nervous before recording this no I'm never nervous I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) weird Christina sorry sorry I wasn't supposed to say that (laughs) yeah absolutely it's strange we're always like super nervous beforehand think everyone's going to judge us and really it's just our brains trying to protect us 
and trying to like make us not do something stupid, but it's ridiculous. But, yeah, there, there's been countless studies that have shown that people react most strongly to authenticity, mm-hmm. but we still try to hide the authentic sides of ourselves and pretend like we're more polished than we are. And it's just... Yeah, and it really just makes us more boring, quite honestly. Yeah, right? honestly, mm-hmm. I'm glad you said it. Because... It's like, yeah. oh, they have a perfect life. They do everything right. Cool. Next story. Like, <laughs> I want some weirdness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a confession. Um, I, I really like to listen to, or I really like to read addiction memoirs or eating disorder memoirs. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when I got to the part at the end where they recovered and they were perfectly fine, I stopped reading because I would get bored and I could mm-hmm. stop relating to it. And um, one of my favorite authors, Maria Hornbacher, she wrote Wasted. It's one of the most popular eating disorder memoirs, but she published a, a new version of it a few years ago with a, a foreword in which she talks about her relapse. And oh, it was really interesting um, because, I mean, she's written a bunch of books since Wasted came out, mm-hmm. but she acknowledges that she isn't perfect and that there's problems with the book and that there's, you know, she's relapsed and she's just a person doing life and she doesn't know what she's talking about. And I thought that was really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. her. She, I remember seeing her in an interview recently on um, like something bites back or some sort recovery of recovery bites. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. I heard it. It was great. Recovery mm-hmm. bites podcast with uh, yeah. Rockefeller. And yes. she was like, I wasn't intending for this to be used like to help people. I just wrote it, right? It was just yeah. a memoir. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't intended to be helping people. It was just her experience. I feel like I need that disclaimer on everything I put out there. Like yeah. if this, I just want to get my experiences out there. And I think that's so healing. But if, I don't know, sometimes I put a lot of pressure on myself to help people too while I'm also struggling and that's just too much pressure for any one person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was talking with one of my coaches and I was talking about how, like, what if I can't help someone? And they're like, Mm. I was putting a lot of pressure on people to recover. Right. And if they didn't recover, it's a reflection on me, but it's like, you don't know the timeline. You don't know when they're going to recover, but you can just Mm -hmm. show up and be there and help them. Right. Like who's to say what you know is going to help someone. And I think what you're doing on your podcast, showing up here, talking about it, that helps someone, even if it's just purely hearing that they're not the only ones. It's so scary, but really going back, you were asking what the most helpful thing I learned through all this is. And we were talking, (laughs) we were talking about asking for help, which is extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, once you ask for help and you receive it, knowing what to do with that help like in the last few weeks um i i make a lot of audio journals and then listen back to them and one of the common themes is why am i not better like i I asked for help i got help now what like i'm still struggling why am i still struggling and i think the thing i'm struggling with right now is will i have this for the rest of my life and if i do how um you know what am i supposed to do without knowledge am i supposed to just fight it my whole life 
or am I supposed to just lie back and be like, oh, I guess this is as good as it's going to get? Um, I don't know. And a mm. lot of professionals have varying opinions on it. Um, current, like, I actually wrote um, an essay on my website about getting sober from alcohol and being sober for two years and how much it can suck. But now that I've been sober for two years, like, yes, it sucks being sober sometimes, but drinking like being an alcoholic sucks worse right and now that i am two years sober looking back like yes it sucked but now i know that i can do that and i never thought i could have a life without alcohol and so moving forward into my bulimia journey it feels right now that i can't recover from bulimia but i i did recover from alcoholism or at least you know i can i proved to myself i can stay sober from alcohol for two Mm -hmm. years and so if I can do that, like who knows what else I can do? And that's kind of where I'm at with my bulimia. I, I'm, I have kind of a pessimistic view toward it sometimes, mm-hmm. but I know that I am capable of recovering. And um, whatever that means, I don't sometimes know. Once you get helpful. into language like that, it's hard. Yeah, like I, I have been there too, where it's kind of like, why am I not better? Why am I still in this? Sometimes I find it helpful to build evidence for why you can do it instead of like maybe asking like why you kind of maybe know like deep down some of the reasons you're still there or still struggling and it just kind of brings up all the negative things. Sometimes it's helpful to look at evidence for why you can do something like the fact that you covered from alcohol like that is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to be sober when you're used to using alcohol just to feel freaking normal right yeah Mm -hmm. and I'm not perfect I I don't even like the word sober because I still use other substances like cannabis um I I don't know I think language can kind of be very black and white sometimes sure like Mm -hmm. I sometimes I feel like a fraud even saying I'm in recovery because you know I still binge and purge sometimes you know I still Overexercise, even on the days I don't purge. Uh, one of the reasons I have shin splints right now, and my um, I'm trapped in my apartment for two days because I like overexercised in shoes that didn't fit me and got shin mm-hmm. splints. And it's so embarrassing to tell that to people because, um, it, to me, it's just glaring proof that I'm not recovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're yeah. not recovered, but yeah. Um, sometimes I even feel like I don't deserve to say I'm in recovery although I I don't know I was talking to a friend saying like oh I relapsed and I feel like I'm not in recovery anymore and he was like well do you want to recover and I was like yes Mm -hmm. he was like are you still you know talking it out to people and taking it one day at a time I was like yeah he was he was like okay so you might have relapsed and you're in recovery there's no but like but is a very is something used to connect to very black and white things so like I relapsed and I'm in recovery you know right yeah I hate the term relapse I know that it's needed um for definitions but it pisses me off because it's like I have clients that like they've been going weeks or they've been having like a few good days and then they have one binge of purge and they're like, mm-hmm. I relapsed. And I was like, shut the hell up. You did not do that. <laughs> like you're fine. <laughs> like, let's- when I was in, uh, when I was in treatment, we learned about the uh, relapse timeline and how relapse actually doesn't happen 
for a while. Like first you have little lapses and then okay. that can turn into relapse and then that can turn into collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go by like the terminology, that's another, yeah, take that as you will. But I found it helpful saying, okay, sometimes you can just have a lapse and it doesn't mean you're like stuck in the cycle all over again. No, no, um, it's nowhere near what it was. And I think your yeah. friend had really good advice too. Like, are you, do you still want to recover and are you still trying? Right. Yeah. Those are good definitions of if you're in recovery or not. Well, and some days I don't even want to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think, you know, I could be addicted to heroin, but I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. so what if I binge and purge every day for the rest of my life? It could be worse, but that's such a defeatist attitude that I have sometimes. And I'm trying not to think that way, but it's yeah. hard. Yeah, definitely. Especially if like, sometimes you're not taking care of yourself. Like those thoughts get... The less energy you have, the less capacity you have, then it's really easy to go into those old comforting thoughts, right? Also, you know what? Like one thing that you have been posting about lately is like purposefully overeating, mm-hmm. which um, it has gotten me thinking about, I'm trying to articulate this in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah, you're fine. Take your time. So like... No one's perfect. Like even if we are recovered from our eating disorders, we're all gonna do things that are maybe a little bit indulgent or a mm-hmm. little bit lazy or whatever. Like everyone has those moments. No one is gonna be a hundred percent on top of their game all the time. Um what am I trying to prove by saying this? I don't yeah. know. Well, I think like <laughs> people have this definition of recovery where it's like magic and rainbows solves all your problems. You never have any issues again. And I mean, what I'm doing, like I still have urges to purge and um, yeah, still have like struggles with depression. Uh, and there's sometimes I like one of my confessions going to put, which is like a lame confession, but I eat out of boredom sometimes. Totally. Like, and, that's and everyone something does that. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like, I think as a person who struggles with an eating disorder, I have this image of recovery that is all sparkles and rainbows. And like, I'll, I feel like I'll never be have to struggle in any other area when I'm done with this, but like, that's the farthest thing from the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, our problems, if anything, become clearer sometimes when we do recover, at least for me with alcohol my problems got worse after I got sober because I didn't have that alcohol to hide behind anymore. And with bulimia, I know I'm using it to hide behind some problems. That's Mm -hmm. the whole reason I developed it. Like I'm not crazy. I, you know, bulimia came into my life for a reason. And um, what my therapist a year ago asked me to write a thank you letter to my bulimia Mm -hmm. because um, I was kind of put off by that at first, but it made sense because I, I used it to help me with anxiety at the beginning and then to feel something and to make time pass. And, um, but after I wrote the thank you letter, I also wrote a fuck you letter to it afterwards and like had them side by side. And it was really, actually, I would recommend for people to do that. That's a, a great tip. Yeah. I love as a that. fun little way to spend an hour. <laughs> well, uh, I, um... It really put things into perspective. I think it's sometimes like I love saying the words like breaking up with bulimia because it is like you're breaking up with an actual person of toxic yeah. relationship of some sorts. But yeah. I agree. 
bulimia serves a big purpose in most of our lives. I love that you said, like, I'm not crazy. There is a reason that I'm keeping this. I'm sticking with it sometimes. It's not just because you really love to do that all the time. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't love to do it. And it, it is very much like returning to a toxic relationship because in at the end of the day, you're used to being in that toxic relationship. It's what you know. And there is comfort in the familiar, no matter how fucked up it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it also takes a lot of work to form a new familiar, you know, to, to make something your new, like to, if you're going from an abusive relationship to a healthy relationship, it takes a lot of work to become comfortable in the healthy relationship because you're not used to that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, it's the same with bulimia, like normal life can seem scary to me sometimes. Sometimes it seems like it's not worth it. Like, are you telling me I have to eat, like, six times a day and, like, all this stuff, at least at the hospital? That's how they, you know, you had three meals and three snacks. and Right. That was to, like, re-stabilize you. I, rec- I know that not everyone in the real world eats six times a day. And no. my dietitian will tell you that, too. They were like, this is just to stabilize you. You know, when you do get to the point where you can eat intuitively, maybe you don't eat six times a day. Maybe you do. But that's very, it depends on the individual. Mm-hmm. And me, I, I don't have that relationship with food yet. So I'm like, what? What do you mean? Right. <laughs> That's when scary. You can choose things and you might exactly. not do that. Right. There's got to be this rule. Um, yeah. And otherwise it's chaos. <laughs> exactly. It's either strict rules or chaos. There's no in between. And that, friends, is why I'm bulimic. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you're working on it, clearly. Yeah. And the way you're describing it, I know that you're wishing you'd be further along than you want to be, but the fact that you're describing it and being like, I know it serves a purpose and being honest with where you're at with it, able to talk about it and looking back and knowing the reasons why you went into it. That's huge. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people are just kind of like, I'm stuck and I can't get out and there's no way possible. Right. With that said, I think it can be dangerous to rely on knowledge. Like I, I do have all the knowledge in the world and And at the end of the day, it doesn't help me recover. I mean, it helps me recover, but it's not going to be the reason I recover. I have to do it for myself, by Mm -hmm. myself. And I don't always want to hear that because I like being rescued by people. I like, you know, going to treatment was good for me because at that time I just wanted to be taken care of Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be validated in my illness and that certainly did accomplish that. But then they also told me there that, you know, eventually you're going to have to get out and you're eventually going to have to, like, we will take care of you while you're here. But when you get out, you're going to have to choose whether you want to continue. And that's scary for me to hear because I don't always trust myself to do the right thing, even though I have all the knowledge in the world. Um, That's not how humans work. We do things that don't make sense. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Although, like, when you break it down, um, you say we do things that don't make sense. But again, there's like reasons why you're doing those things. Yeah, It's just which one you want to choose, right? Like which path you want to take today. Um, And it's interesting that I said you have to choose to like, stick with it or not. And choice is such a like heated word. People get sometimes really like offended by it. But There does sometimes, I like that you said, like, it's going to come down to me making it happen. Like having knowledge is one thing and then taking action on it is another. Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes is uh, mental illness isn't your fault, but it's your responsibility. Mm. Because you're right. Like it is 
Uh, my brother the other day asked me, do you believe that bulimia is something that you choose or is it something that you're born with? And I said, well, I, I can't answer that question because it's both, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, everyone's so different. And it, it's like saying someone's an alcoholic because they picked up a drink. It's not that simple. Like, yes, no. they might've picked up the drink in the first place, but all sorts of things can contribute to whether or not you become an alcoholic, quote unquote. And so with bulimia, it's the same thing. Like, I do have it in the genes. Uh, my mom struggled with it. Her mom had body image issues. All my sisters have body image stuff. It's definitely genetic, but I know there's also choices that I've made that have contributed to that. So mm -hmm. I don't really know where thing. I'm going, but yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's not so black and white. And I think you can have it, but then you can make choices with it. And mm -hmm. that being said, I know that there are different things with treatment. So sometimes people need a lot like extra help, therapy, intensive treatment, like nutrition, stabilization. It's not, yeah. if you don't have those things, sometimes it's really hard to make a clear choice, right? Because you're and not. People don't always have access to that, those kind of things. No. I, I love the episode you just put out about finding, you know, getting help through bulimia on a budget because mm -hmm. Not everyone has access to therapists or treatment or stuff like that. And um, yeah, I didn't, I could barely afford, like I wasn't able to pay my bills a lot of the time, which is how I got yeah. into debt. Right. So it's like, um, I definitely get it. And I think that you should still be able to offer those more expensive choices, but it's wonderful that you got your resources together for GoFundMe. I should have put that on that episode because that's a brilliant way to possibly get. I mean, it's, I think I'm very, very privileged that I had the network of people to help me like that. Mm -hmm. But again, it took two years of me slowly starting to talk about it on Facebook and stuff. Like I, I didn't just wake up and ask, be like, oh, I am bulimic and I need help. Give me your money. And everyone like it took years to get to that point. Mm. I And so I'm very, very fortunate to have that. But if I hadn't started talking about it two years ago, I don't know if I would have been in the place where I'd been able to. So, right. That's um, true, too. That's a good point. I guess take it with a grain of salt because you can't always depend on the world to give you what you need. Like, I'm very lucky that I found that. But with that said, even with all the thousands of dollars I got, I'm still thousands of dollars in, in debt. To the, I'm still paying off my treatment bills with my own money because it, was, it ended up being way more than I thought. Um, okay. I, I was super glad to have that. Don't get me wrong, but, um, like it's, it's $5,000 less than it would have been, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I'm, but yeah, I still have bills and I'm happily paying them because even though I'm not fully recovered, whatever that means, like I still got a lot of help from the treatment center and I'm a different person than when I went in mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to just have that mindset of, like I'm always changing and um, just don't put pressure on myself. Yeah. It makes no. things go worse when I, I was talking with a client today and she's like, she puts such a high pressure on herself if she doesn't, you know, perform well during this or like recover. And it's like, I understand you want to recover, but like, if you don't, I don't know, I don't want that to happen for you, but if you don't, you'll be okay too. It's just like, it's not um, a do or die. It's not an ethical dilemma. It's just something that you want, but there's no moral code being broken if you don't 
like stop binging and purging, right? Also, like, how do we even know when we're fully recovered? Do we get a medal at the end of the road? Like, yeah. there's. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't received it yet, so. Exactly. Like, it. Life is such a journey. That's the cheesiest thing in the world to say, but like, it's true. It's it's so different for everyone, and we're always going to struggle. Like, life is a struggle, but we don't need to struggle needlessly. Is also another saying that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I have to tell myself every day that, yes, I'm struggling, but this doesn't have to be needless. Like, if my struggles can help other people or help me achieve a deeper understanding of myself or the world, then it's worth it to me. Mm -hmm. I heard someone say one time, like, your struggles were there to um, help you understand something. Like, you'll learn something from it, even though it's really painful in the moment. Yeah. Um, To the bare minimum, it's going to teach you something, even if it's like, we don't want to do this again. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I always used to train high school kids at my coffee job, and I could always tell the ones that had, like, had a harder time in life and had had jobs before because they were the better workers yeah. <laughs> than the ones who had never struggled a day in their life. And like, I had to hold their hand through everything. And um, that's a kind of a good metaphor for what I'm trying to say here is that like, if you have struggles in life, um, I guess like they'll, you are the person you are because of your struggles. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's pointless to spend time thinking about what ifs because you can't control that. You know? That's a way to torture yourself, right? That's exactly. a way to just, it's basically like your boyfriend or something, they haven't cheated on you and then thinking, but what if they cheat on you? And it's like, yeah, like it, getting, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> going to that place. Yeah. It's like, I don't blame the kids that hadn't worked or hadn't gone through a lot of hard stuff because it's not their fault. But mm-hmm. I did appreciate the extra experience that the other people had. And so for me and my mental health experience, like I, I look back in the old version of me that didn't know what I was doing and I still don't know what I'm doing, but I don't blame the past version of myself for making the mistakes I did. Cause I didn't have the life experience I have now. And right. And now, um, I am grateful for all my past experiences cause they've led me to this moment and, if I can help people feel less alone, then it's at least accomplishing one thing, yeah. you know. Definitely. Something interesting about, um, like, people always get upset about the fact that they've struggled with bulimia. And sometimes they go through, like, a why me phase or, like, this sucks. Like, I could have been so much more if I hadn't had this. But something I heard one time um, was that people, that she was referring to weight. She was like, people that never, never had to struggle with their weight never had to develop to develop the skills to overcome that mm-hmm. similarly to bulimia people that never had to struggle with bulimia didn't have to over like develop the skills to get through it so yeah it's a hindrance in some ways but it makes you a lot stronger like I have some skills that no one else like no one that never totally. had to struggle with bulimia have right and you do and too. now you can use those skills to, for your business for your you know your coaching stuff and for your personal life too like you mm-hmm. can use those skills and apply them to a lot of different areas it translates yeah yeah definitely. yeah mm-hmm. so kind of a hindrance but it gives the, just like the kids in the coffee shop I was one of those kids also that had like a pretty mm-hmm. easy life and I worked at a coffee shop outside of high school for my it was my first like real job I broke so much crap there. It was awful. <laughs> I was like breaking jars every single day. I'm surprised I wasn't fired. 
<laughs> if it makes you feel better, I was working there forever and I still broke stuff all, oh every gosh. day too. It's just it's terrible. But like, I don't, you don't blame the, the people like that. Like I wouldn't have blamed you. I just been like, okay, you have a different life experience than me, you know, let me teach you what yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember one of my managers like shaking her head after it was like my last day too. Cause I was leaving for college and uh, she was like, oh, I just wish you had gotten one day, you know? She was like, oh, Jacqueline. <laughs> it's like, it was pity. It really was. And I was oh like, my I God, no. can't wait to leave this job. But anyway, so um, I know we've been talking for a while. I'd love to ask you kind of, you have a lot going on, obviously, but what are your plans moving forward? I know you're, you're moving back home for a little while, starting a new, new things up. Anything else going on? Well, I'm switching careers. So, um... Obviously, that will mean, I, I don't know what it'll mean, honestly. There's a lot of unknowns. I think moving forward, I'm just trying to be open-minded and gentle on myself. And one of the reasons I am moving back to Virginia is to take a year to save money, but also to focus on my recovery. And I've been saying that to people as kind of a way to explain why I'm moving. But when I ask myself, well, okay, what is it going to mean to work on your recovery? I think if I'm being honest with myself, it will mean maybe slowing down and um, maybe not like, like if I don't get the super good job right off the bat or I don't start making a lot of money, I have to tell myself that's okay because you'll be focusing on recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I think right now my mind, like I'm in a hurry to do all the things and start a new life. And, um, but it's not going to be like that. It's going to be hard and it's going to be really slow, but I think, if I'm working on recovery, it will be worth it. So right now my um, priority is to find an outpatient team over there, nice. uh, like a therapist and a psychiatrist and maybe some groups. Um, I'm working on that while I work on trying to find a job and trying to find an apartment from across the country. Mm-hmm. It's been hard, but luckily I have a lot of family in the area who are helping me and we'll just take it one day at a time. Yeah, and that's what you can do. And if you stay open, like you're saying, um, I believe with what you're doing, like opportunities will come. Like they will yeah. still stumble upon a lot. I'm sure you already have like noticed some potential pathways there um, with what you're discussing earlier. Uh, because what you're doing with the podcast that you have combined with your experience, like I can see so many different really amazing things in your future with that. And being able to focus on recovery and really dive deeply into it that will be so helpful for your future as well yeah I I hope so I want to ask like joining groups have you ever joined any like private Facebook communities for recovery yeah okay actually after listening to your podcast episode where you talked about like recovering on a budget I actually did I, I had not thought about private Facebook groups before but I found one that I joined and it's been like, I've only been there for a few days, but it's really, really um, gratifying to like see all the posts people are making and realize that I'm not alone. Just, Mm -hmm. and something about Facebook too, it kind of reminds you that these are real people. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of sobering to see, wow, like all these normal people that like, you know, they're, you know, the real people cause they're on Facebook and no one can lie on Facebook, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's more real somehow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, it, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. 
Mm-hmm. You can kind of see like the time they post and what they're saying. A lot of them are posting about real experiences they've had. Something that I was going to say is, yeah, I'm, I'm have this experience from like being in recovery and not being in it. I wasn't any in, in any of those groups when I was going through bulimia, but something that really keeps me on top of my own recovery is helping people. Right. And sometimes just like talking to those people in those groups, giving people advice helps. So maybe something you could do is offer advice in those groups, even though you're not hundred percent there, that might help shift your perspective a little bit or like keep you on top of your own thoughts. I don't know. Yeah. Good thought. I mean, surrounding myself with people who are not only recovered, but also in recovery, or maybe mm-hmm. even at a, you know, a worse place than me. Like it helps remind me that I am in this community. It's not just me struggling by myself in a vacuum. Like there's other people just like me at varying levels, but I can definitely draw on them for support and for help and also yeah. help them in return. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I and think it's the only way we can ever recover is if we do it together. Absolutely. Yeah. It, you, we think that also like the advice we have to share, people already know. Like I always feel that about my podcast. Like people already know this. This is stupid. But people don't. Right. So like anything yeah, you have to don't. share, even if it's just a reminder, but they already do, like it's helpful. So yeah. I'm the most forgetful person on earth. I love being reminded of things I already know. I wish it would happen more often. Yeah. Thank goodness you use my like scheduling app or I would have completely forgotten this appointment. So. Oh my God. I forgot a podcast interview last night. Oh no. (laughs) That I was supposed to have with someone. Full disclosure. I still fuck up all the time. I still get super anxious recording these. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. And it's just, I don't know. I think sometimes I take it too seriously. I just have to remind myself that the whole point of this is just to have fun and, you know, build a community. Mm -hmm. That might be my quote for my next confession is I don't really know what I'm doing. (laughs) I think it's a good one. (laughs) Yes, it's so true. I don't know what I'm doing at all. Yeah, I still look up YouTube videos for stuff like how to do, how to reduce background noise and audacity, like, because my cat knocked something over or something. Like, I I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone, every podcaster ever mentions audacity and I don't use that. I just use like iMovie or or Final Cut Pro and then Zoom. Yeah, that works too. Okay. I mean, if you have GarageBand, if you have GarageBand, like that works for audio too. Okay. I like Audacity because it's just like simple, but um, it has its problems too. I'm sure. It just depends. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. I know it wasn't easy, but I do appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. If you guys are listening, if you want to find Christina, what um, your Instagram is just pickles and vodka, right? It's pickles and vodka podcast. Okay. All right. So yeah. she is on uh, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram is at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. Uh, you can find links to all the places that the podcast is streaming if you go to anchor.fm slash pickles and vodka. Okay, sweet. Yeah. yeah, I think it's on Spotify, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you can find her in there. Um, yeah, but thank you so much for being on, Christina. Thank you. I had a lot of fun and I love your podcast and I love what you're doing and you're a huge inspiration for me. Oh, thank you. Um, Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com 
slash recovery-course.